0: If you enjoy podcasts like this, you should check out our other shows on Health Podcast Network. For example, Health Care for Humans, hosted by Dr. Sundar, expands our understanding of the history and culture of different communities and how to provide culturally responsive care. There's an episode you should check out where guest Dr. Duran details the systemic barriers faced by individuals with DACA status and highlights the importance of addressing these barriers. Check out Healthcare for Humans on your favorite podcast platform or visit healthpodcastnetwork.com.
1: Welcome to another bonus episode of Better with Dr. Erica. I told you that I wasn't gonna leave you hanging over this break. Here is a special Best of Better with Dr. Erica episode that is, as they say, for the culture. This Best of Dr. Erica episode features clips from episodes at Spotlight, Black History and Culture, just in time for Black History Month. You know, it's not over, y'all. These clips discuss the HBCU experience, or if you're not aware, the Historically Black College and University experience, colorism, important historical context and references, along with how to find a Black mental health care professional. You'll want to stay on until the last minute to catch all of this wisdom. Now, don't worry. You don't have to identify as Black to enjoy this episode or learn. This episode can be a tool to help you amplify your voice as an ally, and subjects like colorism affect so many different cultures other than those of the traditional African diaspora, if you want to hear more i encourage you to go back and listen to the original episodes now here's how we share those shareable moments and tidbits on the socials in better nation just use the hashtag better nation when you post it's that simple so we're going to start this episode off with b more joy stevens Dwayne meekins and dr robert russell talking about the hbcu experience
2: better with dr erica
3: I'm going to say this. That's one of the beauties. We jumped on without knowing each other, uh, some of us, and it didn't feel unfamiliar. That's one of the beauties of the HBCU experience. By virtue of you going to an HBCU and you being friends with someone on this panel, it felt like a friendship already. And That's one of the things that I've always enjoyed about being an HBCU grad. If I know somebody that went to Morehouse or Spelman or Hampton, if you're with them and you're cool with them, you're cool with who they're with and you get to move in that circle. I've I really enjoyed that part of my HBCU experience.
4: You know, it's like a it's a giant family. Like you know, you go to a family reunion, and if it's big enough, you don't know them people over there on the other side. But that's your auntie's cousins, sister's daughter's child, and her her, and her new husband and his people. And the next thing you know, you're playing spades with everybody, Mm -hmm. and it's it's like all HBCUs are like one big family, and we're just all cousins. You know, like Mm -hmm. I through y'all now through through me, y'all got connections to Texas Southern, to uh, Prairie View, because you know I got my folks back home. Um, shout out at who are also real G's moving in silence. I mean, as I got older, I realized I know people that are working in the governor's office. I know people that are mm-hmm. working in Fortune 200s, you know, um, that are that have VP level uh, responsibilities mm-hmm. that are hiring managers. Yeah. You know, before we used to all just go to Black College Weekend together. and Now I'm like, wow, you are you're an important person and I have your personal cell phone number. And sometimes we don't use that to the advantage that we should to help each other. It's not about taking, taking advantage of each other. It's about helping each other make those connections so we can build up
3: the larger community, which is what I think
4: we tend to stay focused on, even when we don't realize we're
3: focused on. Well, to jump on what b said, excuse me. I mean, you got to give each other our roses and he did not want it to go unnoted what uh, our other Dwayne is doing. And Mm -hmm. sometimes we, are cool with hanging out with each other. But sometimes it's also telling somebody, hey man, I'm proud of what you're doing. And yeah, I'm proud that's... of the man or the, the woman you've become. <clears throat> and other people need to know how how special you are. We tend to be a little humble about that. You know, we we tend to not want to brag on ourselves because that's seen as being cocky or, or sometimes uh, uh, bougie. But, you know, to, mm-hmm. to the real effect is it's what we need to do, because just from that, there's some connections being made because now there's some other like, oh, OK, now we need to really talk about some things. So I, I really mm-hmm. appreciate B-Moore giving him his roses on this panel, because that says not only a lot about Dwayne, that says a lot about B-Moore, that says a mm-hmm. lot about just the connectivity in general. By, you know, I want y'all to know how important this brother is. Cause a lot of times we it's easy for us to talk about ourselves. Give us a few minutes, we'll talk about ourselves. It's really nice and refreshing. Particularly, I'm gonna say this you got black men on this panel. For black men, it's important for us to continue to pat each other on the back. And mm-hmm. I really, really like that. Agreed. I was very that was very impressive.
1: That is like the perfect segue, because I know one of the things I didn't know going into the HBCU experience at Spelman was that I was becoming part of a larger community. I don't think I was really aware of those meetings of community and legacy. But what were some of the biggest surprises for you with your experience, either at an HBCU in general or your institution?
4: Oh, I want to go. My first My biggest surprise, and it was a pleasant surprise, it was it was liberating, it was freeing, was to realize everybody in my freshman class at Spelman College was just as smart as I was. Mm. Because I had been <clears throat> to some extent hiding that. Um, In the high school I went to, middle school, elementary school, you know, don't let them see you do too much. They'll resent it. Don't let them see you be too full of yourself, too smart, too cocky. You don't always have to answer the question, et cetera, et cetera. And the next thing I know, I'm surrounded by people who are like, I know the answer, too. Oh, you graduated as a number one. So did I. So did the other 35 girls on this floor. We all smart. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't about it wasn't about me not feeling special. It was about me feeling regular. You know, I am just another one of the sea of black intelligent women out here. And I don't have to hide who I am. I can flex. Like if you if you follow comics or you follow uh, the the DC universe, as a matter of fact, Superman, every now and then he'll come up against an enemy that is just as strong as he is. And he's like, I'm glad I'm fighting you because now I can just let it all hang out. I can just go for broke. And that's how I felt when I came to Spelman. I was like, I can go for broke. I can be. As smart, as nerdy, as uh, detailed, uh, as intelligent as I want to be. And they're going to celebrate me for it instead of trying to make me feel bad about it. And that was the best thing about my freshman year.
5: All right now. yeah, I'll piggyback on that. For me, it was I was in gifted classes since fourth grade. Mm -hmm. And you are there's not a lot of people who look like you in those classes. Mm -hmm. So when I got to a and t and like joy said realize that i'm well i knew i wasn't special but when you get to just be normal that's a great feeling and it was and it's also refreshing because now the burden isn't on me to be uh representative of all black people and my failings don't translate to other black people's failings so if if i don't have a good test score or I, maybe I stayed up too late and, and I didn't test well, but that's not now reflective of what black people's intelligence level is and not having that burden and pressure was a huge relief. Mm -hmm. You said a lot, you know, you you talk about burden
6: and lifting that burden. So that's huge. I think we should definitely dive into that. Um, I would say for one of the surprises—not a surprise—one of the things that I definitely noticed even today, looking back on it, is I had more black male PhDs as my professor or at a, as black male teachers at any level I've ever had an education at my HBCU. You know, so having you know every one of my black male uh, professors be Doctor Somebody—it's just—it's just awesome. And having come from uh, New Jersey. In the school system I came through, I, I didn't have any black male teachers before that.
3: So that was incredible. That was my one um, note there. For, for me, it was kind of like uh, the initial uh, comment, but the opposite. So I went through honors classes in high school. And to speak to Dwayne's effect, you're told you're an exception, not the rule. You know, you're special. You're different. And sometimes you actually internalize that. You internalize that feeling that you're special, you're different, and you think there are not others like you. And I had to go to Xavier and realize that, man, there's a bunch of people that are like me and there are a lot of people who are smarter than me and had to figure out, now I got to compete against them and learn how to compete, but also build friendships with them. That was the difference too. And I think that getting back to the burden being lifted, it was also eye-opening it was eye opening to see that I was this kid from the South Side of Chicago in classrooms with kids whose dads were lawyers and judges and doctors already, and having friendships being built from that. Their family, their their family members were already uh, high level people in companies and things like that, and they're my friends. Um, and that made it, like you said, it made it home, and it made it more like, I can be normal with all of these people from New Jersey, from Cali, from all over. And we all got these similarities. And that's the thing that really helps you to grow and to see that even when you leave the HBCU, you have this community that allows you to help you compete and stand out.
1: And I, I just love all of this because it's really hitting on two huge things, which is just the supportive nature, what it's like to see people that actually look like you, that have a culture of excellence, mm. and, and also how seeing those things changes your self-talk to yourself. So, you know, sometimes we talk on here about the better seven, those seven essential areas that are important for you to have that better life. And two of them are self-talk and support. So I wanted to say that, but I also want to say one of the things that happened for me was realizing the impact And some of this, I feel like it sunk in a little bit more after I left, was what it was like going to school where there was literally no racism or sexism,
5: Hmm.
1: (laughs) especially as a, a Black woman is going through school in your everyday experience, not being wrapped up in how do my professor's Think about me because I'm black? What do they think because I'm a woman? What's going to happen on campus? Our campus was really safe. It was primarily women. It's just a lot of things that were just totally off the plate. So it was just a place of excellence where there wasn't a single time I feel like anybody would say, you can't do that, or that's not possible because you're a woman or because you're black. And just subconsciously, what it meant to be in that type of environment. And I don't think I had really thought much of it before I went and until I got there. Better with Dr. Erica. My heart is always warmed by how HBCUs create a culture of instant family. And I love hearing the epiphanies that different people had while attending an HBCU. Now I could have these conversations all day but the episodes have to end sometime. On to a discussion of history with Dr. Miller Boyd. You definitely don't want to miss this, especially because he talks about key historical events that everyone should know. You heard me, everyone. I listened really good here. because social studies was not my ministry when I was in school. Better with Dr. Erica. So one of the things I would ask, especially since a huge issue that it seems like we have, I won't say everywhere. I can sp- speak about this country is the short term memory of anything that has ever happened before and all of this rewriting of history. Do you, if you had to narrow it down to a few specific events that every single person needs to know about or a few historical things, what would it be would be like your, your top things that everybody needs to know about?
7: Oh, wow. Um, well, thinking about my my, my particular field, in African American history, I think understanding the beginning of the transatlantic slave trade is really important, and also putting the American wing of the trade into context with the broader context of uh, colonization in the Western Hemisphere. You know, a lot of people talk about sixteen nineteen and the sixteen nineteen project, but you know, enslaved Africans came over to the Western Hemisphere forcibly starting as early as 1501, coming over to uh, San Domingue, uh, Haiti, Dominican Republic area, uh, the island of Hispaniola. And the the majority of enslaved people came not to what is now the United States, but went into Hispaniola, Brazil, South America, and so forth. And what happened in the United States was just part of a a larger uh, pattern uh, that really transformed the world and, and led Europe on the path for really about a 500 year of dominance. Um, I think it's important because when we think about what it means to have created a modern world, we have to be very honest about it in, in, in so many different ways. We have to acknowledge uh, what was done was horrible, number one. Uh, number two, that Africa did have slavery prior to the onset of the transatlantic slave trade, but it was different. Uh, another thing that we have to note is that a lot of people think that Africa was outside of kind of the known world at the time and was kind of isolated. And the reality was was that it was well integrated into markets in uh, Africa and uh, the Middle East. What is now the Middle East, Europe, and Asia, going back you know several hundred years prior to that, really seven thousand, seven, several thousand years. And understanding that, and I've had to tell students this. You know, a lot of students when we start talking about slavery, they automatically think this is part and parcel of this narrative of people who are quote unquote black being always perpetually at the bottom of the social ladder. And I tell students, don't look at the last, don't look at history as like a snapshot. Look at it as a panel. Look at it as a panorama, because if we go back longer than that, we see a more even distribution of wealth, power, art, science and so forth. So those are a few things that I would think, I think also if we think about the modern context uh, as it relates to slavery in the Civil War, we're just, you know, we're 150 years removed from that. Uh, There were people who were enslaved, who lived until the 1940s. You know, the last person to experience the transatlantic slave trade, uh, when the last ship was snuck into Mobile Bay in 1859, only died in 1940. My dad was six years old at the time. Uh, I look at my own family history. I'm the third generation on my dad's side born free in this country. Third generation. Um, I remember doing a lecture for uh, some of my students, and I talked about how I was just born, you know, just several years after the uh, Civil Rights Act was passed and the Voting Rights Act was passed. I'm the first generation of my family born with the full rights and privileges of citizenship. And I found in my parents' house a newspaper clipping on the day I was born in 1976. And it said, Supreme Court outlaws uh, segregation in private schools. And it blew my mind because it wouldn't be possible if that was not outlawed that I may have not been able to attend the school that I teach at mm-hmm. right now. So it's, we are still very much connected to the past. People tell you to get over it. 150 years is not a long time. 45, 50 years is not a long time.
1: Well, and the amazing thing is you brought up that reference to the news clipping is one of the amazing things is you have conversations with people. And there are so many people that are like the first and the only. And it's like, but it's 2021. right? <laughs> and we're still in the midst of all of these firsts and I I love the context that you brought up with the transatlantic slave trade, along with just the roles of the African diaspora um, in the kind of the global culture, because it really impacts a lot of people's identity. And that's not just the identity of people of the African diaspora, but it affects the perception of identity, um, especially for the black community self-talk the way we talk to ourselves and what we think of ourselves
2: Mm -hmm.
1: it also impacts relationships and connectedness um there are just so many things that are impacted by this and it also impacts other people's ability to connect to us because of the predis um i'm about to say predisposed like i'm back in medicine But everyone has these perceptions of who people are before they meet them, which impacts how they interact and how they may have interpersonal relationships and connections.
7: I, I totally agree with you on that. And I think one of the things, uh, another thing I do want to point out is that, you know, we lump all black people consciously or unconsciously into one category, just blackness. Race, as, as we know it now, is is a modern creation in the last 500 years. And you've got to see things through the lenses of ethnicity Uh, religion, language and so forth and when we think about all the people who came from various places had to come together to work and to survive and all of these different traditions, these cultural and regional and ethnic traditions really melded and I always tell people there is not one singular African American experience. Their African American experience is. I look at my own family and the history of my mother's side living in Mobile and New Orleans, going back 300 years, where part of my mother's family was emancipated in in 1776, whereas on my father's side, you know, and and where my mother was from, you know, gumbo, jambalaya, Mardi Gras, and, and those kind of traditions were really important. My father was from eastern Tennessee, and his father was from the western part of the state of Virginia. And, you know, they had a very different culture and recognizing that there is a diversity uh, of thought, diversity of life and experiences within the black community. uh, I think it's really important so that people are comfortable in their blackness and in their own identities.
1: I love it, and especially because there's been so much conversation. And I know you've you've lived up in Boston too. And I always remember when mm-hmm. I first came up to Boston. And for all of you that may not have lived here, there are it's it's amazing as and I guess I can say this somewhere as racist as Boston can be. <laughs> it's amazing that there's so many different communities here.
7: It's um, yeah.
1: I feel like Absolutely. you gave
7: me a face. I did. Um, I'm Was I wrong for
1: places? saying that it can be racist up here? Was I wrong?
7: No, no, no. I, I think you undersold it. <laughs> I think you uh, undersold
1: it. Well, I mean, it's it's like you know, it's like you have a pretty robust Cape Verdean community here yeah. and through Rhode Island, um, a, a really robust um,
7: Dominican community yeah.
1: here too, and. And for me, one of the biggest things was this is where I started making friends of people um, that were of the diaspora, but of other cultures. And then started understanding the context of why some of them may not necessarily, as African-Americans, a, a lot of people I knew and myself would be kind of like, well, we're Black. right? And I think meeting other people helped me start having a context of how everything isn't as Black and white as sometimes wow. I was brought up to believe as far as some people didn't necessarily identify with us. It didn't mean that they were against us. And you know, you look and you're like, but you darker than me,
7: <laughs>
1: but but the construct of race where they're from is very different yes. than this construct of race that we have in the United States. Correct. That is very based on skin color.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Whereas I met a lot of people from different countries and some them would be like, well, I'm, you know, I'm from Trinidad or I'm Bayesian or, something like that. And they may not identify with being black the way we would say black.
7: Right. right.
1: But it wasn't that they were against the blacks. It, it's just the blacks. their construct was different.
7: Well, it's definitely different. And we are, you know, I choose to call myself African-American because it's the, the best term that I can use for myself in terms of my own family's ethnic and historical experience in this country, which is very particular and very, you know, It's it's a narrowly defined kind of experience in in that regard. And while people in the diaspora, especially those maybe who've never been to the United States and experienced what we've experienced, you know, after a while and understanding us and not just simply listening to what has been told them by people abroad, they will identify with us in, in a certain form and fashion, but still they maintain their own identity as let's say, uh Europe or Nigerian or as you said Bayesian or Trinidadian, right? They can be both. And we can come together in a in a place where we're all kind of on this, this one level, but we also have to you know recognize the, the unique parts of and aspects of their own individual cultures.
1: Amen. <laughs> the doors well, that, of the church are now open. Yes they're they're open and And on this note it it feels like we're in a a pivotal historical moment right now um between the pandemic, all of the racial injustice, um political drama <laughs> it, there's it seems like there's literally been all of the things going on. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like we're in a major historical moment and, and what makes it feel that way or not feel that way for you?
7: So everything is history. Uh, everything that happened is, is, is a historical moment. I think it's the, the intersection of so many different things happening. And really, the, the racial injustice that we are now seeing and it's being sent out and uh, on social media, it's been in the news, really is nothing new but we now have the ability to transmit that information and those images and those videos to millions, if not billions of people in a, in a very short period of time. All this is, is what has been going on for a very long period in our history. And it's just, it's it's, it's as they say in the Bible, it's nothing new under the sun. This is nothing new. And I, I think in a way, we are seeing some shifts, and maybe, perhaps, going back in the wrong direction with these voting restrictions in these individual mm-hmm. states, and you know the inability of certain political groups to attract a, a diverse uh, electorate. And it is scary because you know you would think of history as linear, as things being better than it was for our parents. You know, our parents talked about the civil rights movement going into you know black own you know black only doors and black drinking at black-only water fountains. And we thought that, especially with us going to integrated schools and you know, getting to know people about the culture, that things were going to continue trending upwards. You know, we hit an apex, of course, with the election of Barack Obama in in certain respects, not in every respect of our kind of racial progress, but I think I see we going us going in the wrong direction. And I think that people who have understood or thought they were on the fringes in terms of radiology by race you know were marginalized and on the fringes they are now they have now been given a platform and they have been somewhat legitimized by political leaders uh, and television networks that are really using them to make money and i think you know we are at a pivotal moment where we go from here i don't know um, but we have to do better. We want a better, uh, you know, better world for our for the future, and uh, we'll have to fight for it. And I think, you know, when you add COVID to the mix, uh, a lot of people are tired and weary. And how do you do that? Do you resign yourself to saying that this is, this is, um, you know, this is the end, and things are going to get worse, and it's always going to be like that? Or do people still have a fight in them to say, okay, I still can salvage? this society, I still can make this world a better place. And it's, it's a hard thing. And I think, you know, we are in our 40s. We've seen a lot of things happen. We remember Rodney King. We remember the whole OJ Simpson divide and in that. And we're at an age where we're seeing cycles. We're seeing patterns. And, you know, sometimes, honestly, sometimes it feels hopeless. Uh, and other times, you know, We are hopeful that things will get better, and so it's 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 an interesting time. I'll say that.
1: Better with Dr. Erica. Dr. Miller Boyd's wisdom is needed in this chaotic time of banning books, voter suppression, and continued racial injustice. Can you believe all the books that have been banned, y'all? I love how he mentions that every moment is history. It makes me feel empowered because each moment means something. We are all part of that living history. This next segment features me, yes, me, Dr. Erica, discussing how to find a Black mental health professional. This was the answer to a question that I received at a speaking event about how to find a Black therapist. But these tips work for finding any type of Black mental health professional, including psychiatrists. Remember, psychiatrists can also do therapy, so we can also be counted as therapists. So stay tuned.
2: Better with Dr. Erica
1: how do you find an African-American or depending on what lexicon you are personally using black therapist? Um, intertwined in this, I will ask, answer a few ways to find someone, but there are some specific considerations that people will have um, when they're looking for someone that looks like them. And part of the reason people may be looking for a black therapist is because there are some things that are unique to the experience of being black in America Um, And as we talked about, sometimes African-Americans don't always get the best care. So let's go back to how do you find an African-American therapist? There are three ways I would recommend. The first one is you can go to a website that specializes in Black mental health professionals. The number one site for that to me is therapy for Black girls. They didn't pay me. I am not sponsored by them, (laughs) but therapy for black girls. The reason I love therapy for black girls is when you look at therapy for black girls, pretty much everyone that lists there is black. Now, even though it's therapy for black girls, most of the people will also treat men. So I say it's a great place to find black mental health professionals because the second place to find them is psychology today because almost everyone lists with psychology today. The downside of looking at psychology today is that then you end up doing the picture game where you look at everyone's picture and try to figure out if someone looks black. And as we all know, (laughs) trying to figure out if someone's African-American by their looks can be a little challenging. And then also the pictures are small. So that's a place you can look. But um, therapy for black girls, I love because you're going to find black people there. The third is ask your friends. So we had number one, therapy for black girls. Number two, psychology today. Number three, phone a friend, ask a friend, ask someone, you know, a lot of times people are seeing folks, but they aren't always talking about it. And you'd be surprised when you ask how many people are actually seeing a mental health professional that they like, and they can tell you who they're doing. it's kind of like finding a hairdresser. A lot of times you find a hairdresser by asking who do your friends use? So that's the answer to that one. Now, a question I got the other week was, is virtual as good as in-person? Now, one of the reasons this is coming up is telemedicine and utilizing it for um, mental health services has been out a long time. But it really came to the forefront in the pandemic when everybody has been physically distancing. Better with Dr. Erica. I hope this helped if you have been trying to locate a black mental health professional. This is probably one of the most frequently asked questions I get when I speak, literally almost every single time I speak, be it for corporate, a conference, Facebook Lives, any of that kind of stuff, I always get this question. Listen, this conversation is nothing without you. So stay right here and we'll be back in a few moments.
2: Better with Dr. Erica.
1: Better Nation is the community of people that follow the Better with Dr. Erica podcast that are like you and want to be better, do better, and live better. By becoming a member of Better Nation, you also get to receive member-only bonus content to put you officially in the inner circle. Show notes with timestamps so you don't have to search for your favorite moments and some bonus free coaching tools. So visit joinbetternation.com. That's joinbetternation.com to become a VIP and be a part of a better nation. Welcome to What's Up with Dr. Erica, and guess what, I am your host, Dr. Erica. So Valentine's Day just passed. Guess what, y'all, I had no date. I can't even remember my last date. Yes, <laughs> my dating life is really not sexy. And I know I'm not alone out here in these single streets. I know the pandemic has amplified these seasons of loneliness and days like Valentine's Day that celebrate romance and connection seem to amplify it. I wanna tell you something. Don't forget that you're in a season and seasons end, but try being proactive with connecting with others. You don't have to have a date or a boo or have a love in your life, but you do need to nurture relationships. Those relationships that are platonic or family or friends, they all mean something. You can get love there too. You can get your love bucket filled there. I know it's not the same, but it can mean a lot and it can help combat those feelings of loneliness. So my homework for you is to call one person today. Physical distancing doesn't have to mean social isolation. Back to the show.
2: Better with Dr. Erica.
1: Now this next clip features Better with Dr. Erica regulars. Chuck Hobbs and Joy Stevens discussing colorism, specifically what is colorism? Colorism impacts so many cultures that you wanna stay tuned in.
2: Better with Dr. Erica.
1: One of the reasons I'm having both of them here for this conversation is I knew they would be very thoughtful but could also be solutions focused because the one thing that happens with some of these topics is people get together and it ends up being two steps away from trauma bonding or who has been wrong the most. Mm. And I wanted to have a conversation that was a little bit more educational and also solution focused. But let's start it off. We're gonna start it off basic and either of you can chime in or both of you. What do you consider colorism to be?
4: Mm, I'll take this one. Okay. So De and I, hat on for a second. Colorism is an offshoot of racism and all of its system stems back from white supremacy. Now you can have a preference for um eye color, skin color, facial structure, et cetera, et cetera. There's nothing wrong with having a desire to see something that you personally find attractive. Colorism specifically is the desire or the um finding of lighter skin tones. Um, more desirable or more advantageous, more attractive, specifically because they're lighter, not because you find them more attractive um, in the, in their own right, but because you see them as better. Colorism says lighter is better because it is more approximate to a whiter skin tone. Um, everywhere that you go in the world, and it's not an it's not a Europe, it's not an American problem, it's not a Louisiana problem, it's not a Southern problem. It is a global issue. And it is all about anywhere that European colonialism or imperialism has touched the world and stated unequivocally that European fair, you know, Aryan, Germanic, whatever you want to call it, Scandinavian skin tone, blonde hair, blue eyes, fair, you know, non-melanated skin was better. Either through um, military might, um, monetary advantage, etc., they went into these areas and put themselves in charge. And they did mix with the local races and created these lighter skin tones. And they also had advantages. They were the master's child. They were the conquistadors, offshoots, et cetera. And they created these caste systems all over the world. And we still live by that to this day. And it has infected, for lack of a better word, the worldview of what beauty was everywhere. Also what power was, what preference was, what dominated the world. And we live with it to this day. So colorism is not just, I think light eyes are pretty. We've reduced it to that in some places. Colorism specifically is seeing lighter skin as better, advantageous to a prosperous life. And for a long time period in history, it was. And we cannot overlook that because it plays into how people treated each other from 1450 to yesterday. And so that is what colorism is.
6: No, no doubt about it. And I would just add that colorism is like a mental cancer of some sort. And I know we have uh, Dr. Erica here who can who can tell me whether I'm off base with that. But it is something that deep down inside. And and that's why I'm so grateful to be able to have this conversation with you two uh, sisters, because I know that both of you think deeply uh, as many of our brothers and sisters who come from the HBCU world or or just the world period. I mean, Mm -hmm. I I don't want to delineate, but I, I will say that those of us who come from the HBCU tradition, we have been dealing with these topics uh, nonstop since our freshman year. Uh, You know, even the great movie, and I know we'll talk about it at some point in time, School Days, Mm. which came Mm -hmm. out when I was in 10th grade. Uh, So that means you all would have been, I won't say what grade y'all were in, because I know ladies don't like to discuss their ages, so to speak. But when I was in 10th grade and School Days came out, on the one hand, you know, our entire, um, we were at the Bethel Missionary Baptist Church lock-in. And so there were about, 200 black kids from tallahassee who all for two days were in the church basement uh praising god technically but really being heathens uh in some ways even in <laughs> the church uh, talking trying to holler getting phone numbers and I don't get it. yeah exactly it, it, it was wild but one of the coolest things that they did is they got some buses and they took us to see school days on opening weekend what was really cool about it was well, when i say cool one of the things that i i, I it still hits me is the Madame Riri's uh, beauty shop, the good and bad hair mm-hmm. issue, um, the whole light skin versus dark skin piece. Uh, that thing was poignant, and it was poignant because it's something that I dealt with. It's something that we all have dealt with our entire lives, be it the uh, preconceived notions that people have. Um, man, and so it, this thing, this conversation <laughs> on this podcast will get just as deep as y'all allow, but... Again, me and a couple of my friends, uh, all of whom have gone on to do really well in life, we used to jokingly call ourselves the Blue Black uh, Brothers or back in the 1980s. And, and, and that was because what we used to joke about was contrary to some of our boys. And I'm talking about they were our friends, so you know we were just really giving them the business. But some of our lighter skinned brothers, we always used to joke that the Blue Black Boys never got to be uh, escorts for, uh, for the little queen and princess pageants. Uh, they always, you know, the girls in the 80s always got their, the, our fellas that look like Al B. Shore or mm-hmm. El DeBar uh, to escort them or or to be their kings, the class kings. Uh, the blue black boys used to be against uh, being ring bearers because no one ever asked us to be a ring bearer in uh, weddings <laughs> when we were little kids. So we did it as a joke. But you know how they say there is truth in jest. Uh, when I look back at it, mm-hmm. I think to a great extent that some of us were hurt. That, you know, when we were little old boys, uh, I'll tell you straight up, the girl that I had the biggest crush on in sixth grade, I asked her to go to the middle school Valentine's Day uh, dance with me. And she told me she would if I could make myself look like uh, L. The Barge or Michael Jackson. And, and that kind of messed with me, um, because, again, I get it. I mean, at the time, the Barge was like one of the top groups. And everybody knows that Michael Jackson and the Jacksons were like that group uh, in the 1980s. But here I was, an 11 year old boy sitting up, literally looking in the mirror thinking, well, maybe if I got one of those jerry curls and, um, you know, maybe if my skin was lighter, maybe this girl would like me. And, and to his credit, thank God I had my father, who I look a lot alike, um, who laughed when I asked him about the jerry curl piece. He was like, he said, boy, he, there's nothing wrong with the way your hair looks or the way you look. He said, just keep getting that lesson. Keep uh, playing ball and, and doing all the other extracurricular stuff you're doing and you're not going to have any problems getting any girls. And, uh, and he was right about that. But at 11, I didn't know that. At 11, I was really sitting there thinking that there was something wrong with me because I was dark skinned with what was considered uh, peasy head or nappy hair or whatever it is that you want to call it. So, again, I'm looking forward to this conversation today, uh, not just in terms of what we went through. But what are some ways that we can go about trying to make it so that that generation and the generations coming after us don't have to deal with some of the psychological damage that so many prior generations have uh, among Black people?
2: Better with Dr.
1: Erica. Hearing parts of this episode moves me every single time. Did you hear that the solutions to colorism will extend past the actual communities of color? Did you hear it? Now, I'm so sad to say that we're coming to the end of this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. I'm, I love bringing these bonus episodes and these best ofs just always warm my heart because I then get to hear things over again. And sometimes I remember new things when I hear it the second or third or fourth time because, you know, I've listened to these episodes quite a few times. But I hope you enjoy them also. So stay tuned for more bonuses while we get season three ready for you. Now, let me tell you that it's going to be fire. You're not going to want to miss season three. I'm just so excited. If you haven't followed or subscribed to the podcast, please do. That way you won't miss these last few bonus episodes before we kick off season three. Now, if you want to hear more, go ahead and go back and listen to past episodes, including the episodes that these clips were from. Hey, you know, I'm doing my part to to support you so you can always listen and get your Dr. Erica fix on with the Better with Dr. Erica podcast. There are quite a few episodes because we have two seasons and two sets of bonuses out there. But I also need to specifically say thanks for all of your support and for choosing to have me and my guests in your ears. There is literally a zillion podcasts out there and you chose to listen to me. And I also need to give you a big round of applause because guess what? You chose you today. You took some time out of your day to listen to something to help make you better. So you chose you. I'm here to put you back in your life and I'm so proud that you are doing the same. So one more thing, if you like what you heard, can you please rate and review? Okay. I'm really going to get out of (laughs) here. I know I keep saying I'm going to leave and I just don't leave. I feel like I'm that person that has 10 conversations on the way out the door. I'm sending you much love. And guess what? Happy Black History Month, y'all, even though Black History is every day. But stay safe out there because this pan to the dimmick is still not over. I want us all to be able to sit together and chat about all of our experiences during the wonderful world of COVID. And I'll be here to do that. So please continue to take care of yourself and take necessary precautions. Last thing is give yourself a big hug, a big one. Squeeze tight. Can you feel it? Mm. Now, if you're driving, just wait until you park parked to do that. Can't have anybody having any accidents on my part. So until next time, have a better day. I'm so excited that you have been here supporting Better With Dr. Erica along the way. Can you believe we just made it to the end of season two? Season two. First, I have to say thank you for making my dream of being a podcast host come true. Thanks for all your support. And I look forward to bringing even better content for you, which is hard because it's getting pretty good in season three. Now, while I'm gone, that doesn't mean the episodes will stop coming You will see some bonus episodes pop up. So it's going to be important for you to follow or subscribe to the podcast. That way you won't miss a thing. Now, if you start missing me too much, you can always go back and listen to past episodes because as you can tell, there are quite a few. So especially if you started listening a little later in the podcast, or there's some things that you may want to just listen to again and see what additional knowledge and tidbits you can get, I encourage you to go back and listen to some past episodes and i will be busy like a busy bee coming up with some new great episodes for you for season 3 i even started taping some of them and you are going to love them i know i do but thank you so much again i can't wait to see you on the other side stay tuned for the bonus episodes
0: better with dr Erica. if you enjoyed podcasts like this you should check out our other shows on health podcast network for example, Healthcare for Humans, hosted by Dr. Sundar, expands our understanding of the history and culture of different communities and how to provide culturally responsive care. There's an episode you should check out where guest Dr. Duran details the systemic barriers faced by individuals with DACA status and highlights the importance of addressing these barriers. Check out Healthcare for Humans on your favorite podcast platform or visit healthpodcastnetwork.com.